you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we are going to close out our time in the Beatitudes. We've walked through each one individually. We did an introduction and it seems right to do some, some sort of summary and conclusion of the Beatitudes. Um, my hope this afternoon as we close out our time is I have three areas that I want to consider, just so you kind of know where I'm heading. Uh, I want us to first think about the pursuit of happiness that we're all on, um, not from the Declaration of Independence, but just in general, that we're all pursuing and seeking happiness in life. So we'll think about the pursuit of happiness. Then we're going to take some time to consider how the Beatitudes show us where happiness is and is not found. Where do we not find happiness and therefore where can we find it? And then finally, I want to just offer a few general applications as we try to walk away from the Beatitudes with some practical steps to take in applying them to our lives. The World Happiness Report released its first report in April of 2012, and in it the researchers, quote, presented the available global data on national happiness and reviewed related evidence from the emerging science of happiness showing that the quality of people's lives can be coherently, reliably, and validly assessed by a variety of subjective well-being measures collectively referred to then and in subsequent reports as happiness. So based on this research, they have presented their happiness rankings, which list 156 countries in the world in order from the most to the least happiest. Any guesses? what the happiest country is? Finland. Have you read the study? Cheaters. All right, give me another guess. Pretend they didn't say Finland. Denmark, Norway, Holland. Philippines, I heard? No. Well, you guys are pretty good. The U.S., top five. Finland, Denmark, Norway, Iceland, and the Netherlands. So it's good to be Nordic. Um, The bottom five, Rwanda, Tanzania, Afghanistan, the Central African Republic, and South Sudan. Start to get a feel for what their criteria for happiness was. Uh, Other nations of note, especially to this crowd, United States, 19, the Philippines, 69th, Colombia, 43rd, so you beat Mark, Ruth. Um, Haiti was 147th, so fairly low on the list as far as how they measured happiness. Now, take what you will from this study, right? Um, Is there any value to this? I don't know. Uh, But one immediate thought that I would have is that you can't look at a nation made up of millions of people and decide how happy they are given that there's unique temperaments that are represented there and and life experiences of each individual person, not to mention the fact that what the study says makes people happy doesn't always make people happy. Uh, In fact, we are all too aware of the fact that a person can have everything in the world that is considered to be the stuff that makes someone happy and still be totally miserable. Um, The happiest person in the world could be living in South Sudan. 
And the saddest person in the world could be living in Finland, just depending on um, so many different factors. And so happiness is, is hard to measure. It's even hard to measure the happiness of our own hearts, I feel like. Am I happy? Sometimes I don't really know. But despite how slippery happiness can be, what is apparent is that, that happiness is a serious thing. That, that the search for happiness is not something that's peripheral to our lives. It's not insignificant. It's not something that you should dismiss and say, no, I don't need to look for happiness. Rather, it's something that we should pursue. We should seek to understand where true happiness can be found, to find the, the kind of life and character that results in flourishing and joy and blessedness. That's a good search to be on. And if we're eternal beings, then that's going to change how we're looking for happiness. Because we're, we're looking for a kind of happiness that's not only for this life, but that extends into the life to come. If, if I think that here and now is all that I have, then, then how I'm going to seek fulfillment and joy is going to be very different. I'm not going to weigh or search for happiness um, through that, that'll extend into eternity, but I'm going to look for happiness in the moment that I'm currently living. I will announce that, you know, I only live once, so I better live it up while I'm, I'm here. If that's how you think, we will, we will try to flourish in the present with no thought for the future. But if we think this way, then, and, and, and we're wrong, if we think that happiness only matters in the, the present and we're wrong, then the consequences for some sort of happiness now could be hell forever. Here's the thing, we're all consciously or unconsciously spending our days looking out to try to find the good life. That's what we said at the beginning of the series. We're looking for the good life. We're looking for happiness. And so what a gift that here in the first words of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been describing for us what the flourishing, fulfilled, happy, and blessed life looks like. What a gift. Jonathan Pennington writes about this. He says, as prophet and sage, Jesus is offering and inviting his hearers into the way of being in the world that will result in their true and full flourishing now and in the age to come. Though his authoritative and eschatological claim, through his authoritative and eschatological claims, he is more than an ancient philosopher of happiness, but he is not less than this. I like how he says that, that Jesus is more than an ancient philosopher of happiness, but he's not less than that. He is telling us about where happiness is found. He's taking time to address our search for fullness and our search for joy. And the fact that Jesus speaks about happiness shows us yet again that our pursuit of happiness is not insignificant. It's not something that we should just sort of shake off. Where my mind goes is to think that I should just look for contentment. And there's a place for contentment, isn't there? For, for looking at our lives and saying, we have food, we have shelter, we have clothing, we should be content. Paul talks about this in Philippians 4, that he's learned in all circumstances to be content. But my heart sort of twists that. And so I say, get over yourself, Andy. Life's hard and you just need to be content. Quit looking for some sort of enduring happiness and learn to be thankful that you got through the day and that you got a place to eat or a place to sleep and food to eat and, and people who love you. So stop looking for something beyond that. And yet I think there's this sense in which God has created us for a with a capacity for happiness 
that he wants to fulfill. He's, he's created us to, to flourish. He wants us to be filled with joy. And there's a, a flourishing that in fact has nothing to do with how much food I have or whether I have shelter or clothing or any material blessing. There's a, a happiness that's found through faith in Christ and the ways of his kingdom that's available to anyone, regardless of where they live, regardless of their economic status, regardless of any other factor. And it's available to you and me. There's a, a flourishing and a fullness and a happiness and a joy that's open to all people through Christ and his kingdom. And Jesus invites us in that, into that. He describes it, uh, this blessed life in these nine beautiful statements, nine beatitudes, nine surprising descriptions of the flourishing life that we are called to live as members of God's kingdom. And if we are followers of Jesus, Members of, kingdom, members of his kingdom, then it's, it's here in these statements that we should look for happiness. How often we are distracted and pulled down paths that promise to fill us, only to find out that they are empty and that we are empty apart from finding joy in Christ. Eugene Peterson writes this, everyone wants to be happy, to be blessed, too many people are willfully refusing to pay attention to the one who wills our happiness and ignorantly supposing that the Christian way is a harder way to get what they want than doing it on their own. They are wrong. God's ways and God's presence are where we experience the happiness that lasts. So what is the happiness that lasts? Well, let's read together this summary of what blessedness is according to God's ways, um, what it looks like for a follower of Jesus. I have the one with blanks, but I think we'll, I meant to do that at the beginning. We can do that later on. We'll do so we can actually see the words. And, but we are memorizing this together. But let's read Matthew 5, 1 through 12 again together one more time. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we've established that we're all pursuing, looking for happiness. Where is happiness going to be found, especially and specifically for the one who repents and believes in Jesus? It's found where Jesus tells us the blessed, flourishing, happy life is, and it's found in these Beatitudes. So I want to answer this question, where is happiness found, by giving you five probably overlapping statements drawn from our study of the Beatitudes throughout the weeks about where happiness is not found, 
And hopefully that's going to also lead us into where it is found. Um, so five places it's not found. First, it's, it's not found where we would expect. It's not found where we would expect. From the get-go, the Beatitudes feel pretty counterintuitive. They go against the way that, that we think. We don't usually begin our search for happiness by pressing into poverty of spirit or mourning. The wisdom of, of God's word is different than the wisdom of the internet. I plugged in sources of happiness. Article gave me five sources. Security, outlook, autonomy, relationships, and skilled and meaningful activity. Another one lists being optimistic, a comfortable standard of living, fun times, social networks, being purposeful, and good physical health. No list I saw on Google began with poor in spirit or mourning. And so these ideas that Jesus gives us are different than the way we would naturally think. The, the Beatitudes then, they, they test our faith because they go against our natural inclinations and they reveal that true blessedness is not found where we would expect. So are we going to trust Jesus? Does Jesus really know what he's talking about? Does he really know where true happiness is found? Because he says it's not found where we would expect. expect. It's in fact found in, in staring deeply into our brokenness and need. Happiness is found when we stare deeply into our brokenness and our need. When, when we see our brokenness and mourn for our sin and are humbled by the sight of it all, that's when we know the blessing of the kingdom and the comfort of the gospel and the eternal reward that Jesus has purchased for us. Seeing our brokenness leads us to wholeness and flourishing. It leads us to a life of faith, of, of dependence on God. And so an awareness of our brokenness and need paves the way for blessing. It's not what we would expect. Happiness isn't found where we would expect it because it's, it's also it's found in righteousness. Happiness is found in righteousness. What's the wisdom of the world? Nobody who does what's right and good has any fun ever. <laughs> Isn't that what we hear? We're, we're often drawn down those paths that Christ tells us not to go down because we think that's where happiness is. We look down these roads that Jesus has said, don't travel there, and we think that, that God's holding out on us, right? There's something down there that's going to make me happy. That's why he doesn't want me to go there. Sounds a lot like Adam and Eve, doesn't it? We believe this lie that God is keeping something good from us when in fact he has given us everything. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And it's through walking down the path of righteousness that we find the flourishing life. It's not found where we expect. It's found in, by staring into our brokenness and need. It's found, by, it's found in righteousness. And of course, what we saw last week, the most counterintuitive one, is that it's found in persecution. <laughs> Happiness is found in persecution. There's joy in being identified with the faithful who have gone before us and with Jesus himself. That's joyful. There's joy in the reward that comes to all who would persevere to the end. And for those who suffer for Christ and for righteousness, they, they mark themselves as people who are truly flourishing. So happiness is not found where we would expect. It's found in staring into our brokenness, pursuing righteousness, and it's even found in persecution. Secondly, it's not found in isolation. 
It's not found in isolation, but in love for others. Happiness is not found by isolating ourselves, but by purposely loving others. If you're like me, then in my search for happiness, I want to naturally turn inward. We sometimes assume that, that the search for happiness is a personal quest. It's, it's something that we have to find on our own. There's popular memoirs that tell of people who have come to a place of crisis in their lives. And so they say, I'm going to find happiness and I'm going to travel the world by myself and search for true meaning and happiness. It's always this solo quest. I'm going to find it. And there's truth in the fact that some things need to be discovered on our own. There's a need for time by ourselves, for personal uh, soul care. But happiness is not found in isolation, according to Jesus and the Beatitudes. Creation itself tells us that we are made out of relationship for relationship. The image of God in us means that joy is found in knowing and being known. And happiness is found in the same place. In fact, happiness is, is, we've said, is found in righteousness. And the righteousness of the kingdom is the kind of righteousness that seeks the good of others, that strives to be in relationship with others, that that strives towards mercy, that seeks to make peace, that loves neighbor as self. Maybe you think you're not happy because of people. (laughs) If it weren't for people, I would be happy. If I could be free from the trouble that's caused by my family and my friends, my coworkers and strangers, (laughs) then I would flourish and I would be happy. It's everyone else's fault. But Jesus shows us that it's in entering into the lives of others, even the difficult parts of their lives. That's where we flourish and find joy. Entering into injustice and pain and poverty as a person of mercy. That's a place of joy. (coughs) Excuse me. Entering into conflict. Entering into conflict as a place to find happiness. Yes, we enter in as a peacemaker. And there's joy in that, Jesus says. I was reading 1 Corinthians 10, 24 this week and this one Verse stuck, I was reading 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 24 stuck out to me. Let no one seek his own good. That right there just, isn't that wild? Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And the irony is that if we would seek the good of our neighbor, then we're seeking our own good. Then we're seeking our own joy and happiness. It's when we lay down our lives for others that we find joy. So, happiness is not found in isolation. It's found in love for others. It's it's found by inviting almost the chaos of life into our lives so that we can be agents of peace and mercy. Third, it's not found in what you do, but in who you are becoming. It's not found in what you do, but in who you are becoming. This is that... I've been trying to process this together with you and maybe you agree and maybe you disagree, but we'll see. Uh, I listened twice this week to a sermon by Tim Keller. It was so good. I listened to it one day and I listened to it the very next day. It's called A Broken Wall about self-control. Gospel and Life podcast, A Broken Wall. Uh, If you struggle with self-control like me, 
<laughs> then you should listen to it and just wait for the moment that he brings it all together with the gospel. It's beautiful. But anyways, in the sermon, he says that the book of Proverbs doesn't speak on how to make right decisions, but on how to be the kind of person that makes right decisions. And he says that, that for we who are pragmatic Americans, that's really hard because we, we just want principles to follow. We don't want a character that we have to build. And I think that's where the Beatitudes can become frustrating for a similar reason, because we'd much rather have nine steps to happiness than nine characteristics that the Spirit needs to work into us over the course of our entire lives that are going to make us happy. Give me nine steps, Jesus. Don't just tell me that I need to grow in all of these things every single day, and I'm never really going to fully understand them or live them out. But what we find is that true flourishing comes only as we are yielding to God's spirit and allowing him to shape us into the kind of people that he's called us to be through faith. People who are pure in heart, who are singularly devoted to, to him and to his ways. And that's a work that God has to do in us. It's, it's who he's making us to be. It's who we are becoming. Happiness isn't found in what you do. It's found in who God is turning you into the kind of person he's making you to be. And that journey is lifelong. And so the Beatitudes remind us forth that true happiness, it, it's not found completely in the present. True happiness is not found completely right now. Hopefully you've seen as we've walked through these statements that we've continually said that there's this already and not yet that's part of the kingdom. That the kingdom of God is here, but it's still coming in, in fullness. That we taste the flourishing life now as we become the people that Jesus is making into us into. But that that, that taste is, is like an appetizer. That the full coming of the kingdom at Christ's return is going to usher us into the everlasting happiness and flourishing that he's promised. So we, we taste it now, but not completely. And we should acknowledge that that's, that's hard. So there's a sense in which in this, this pursuit of happiness, we're not going to be fully satisfied in this life. And, and that can be hard. Appetizers are good. I love appetizers. Sometimes I've made a meal out of appetizers. And it's not usually a wise choice. But they're great. But they're not, the, they're not the main meal, right? They're supposed to sort of tide you over and make you want what's coming. And so in the same sense, we, we enjoy the, the present joy that we have through Christ. But we're also longing for something deeper and more consistent. I quoted C.S. Lewis, I think, at the beginning of the series where he says, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And we are. And that could be why we're tempted to look for joy in other places, why we follow false wisdom in search of a more full-fledged experience of happiness. Because, because we have a taste of happiness, but we, we know in our hearts and in our souls that there is something more that we're longing for but we'll never find it. We will actually never find full happiness in this life. We'll never find complete joy here and now because we're made for another world. And we'll never find it outside of faith. Because finally, the Beatitudes teach us that 
happiness is not found outside of Christ. Happiness is not found outside of Christ. True, lasting, flourishing is not found outside of him. As I thought about that, I was reminded of Jacob. I don't know if you remember when we talked about Jacob for a long time as we went through the book of Genesis. But I just remember Jacob as a guy who was just searching for love and fulfillment for his whole life. He was coddled by his mother, but he knew that his dad didn't really love him, that he loved his brother more. And that'll mess you up as a, as a person. And so he was looking for love and he went searching for it. And he found Rachel. And he said, well, Rachel's going to satisfy me. And so he makes bad deals with Laban. Yeah, I'll work seven years to marry her. And, but he loved her so much, it just felt like a day. And yet, even in that, the, the relationship that he was looking for didn't satisfy him. Because there's no human relationship that can satisfy the longing of our souls. That's maybe the other danger of relationships. Maybe I could say that as a side note. The first one is isolation, thinking that we don't need others and that getting rid of other people would make us happy. The other one is thinking that love and acceptance from others is the only thing that will make us happy, that we're seeking for it in someone else, in another person. We're seeking for acceptance and love, and that's what's going to fulfill us deeply. Let me tell you how it works in my heart. I did a household chore yesterday that Andrea had been asking me to do. And when I finished it, I said, I'm going to ask Andrea two questions. I'm going to say, how much do you love me? And then I'm going to tell her that I did this thing. And then I'm going to say, now how much do you love me? And in that moment, I realized the deception of my heart. That's how I think about love. That's my natural inclination. And that's how I think about God's love. And it's something that I'm learning over and over again that God's love does not increase or decrease for me in any way, that he's loved me the same from the moment that I became his follower. I was seeking happiness, though, through that relationship. I was seeking acceptance through something that I had done, through works. If happiness is only found in Christ, then the search for happiness is the search for Jesus. It's the search for the kingdom. And it's only when we see our sin and repent of it and trust what Christ has done through his death and resurrection that we can find ourselves on this path to flourishing. And you know, the way we get there is not by, by doing things so that God will accept us and love us more. His love is not conditioned on our works. It's rooted in Jesus' perfect work of redemption. And when we turn from our sins, we mourn for them, when we're humbled, and we trust in Jesus' perfect work and long for his righteousness. We turn from our sins and trust in him and we are fully accepted into the family of God. We are loved completely. Loved in a, an unchanging and eternal way. And there is a deep joy in being loved by that, like that. To be loved by the creator That kind of love calls us into obedience and righteousness that's here in the passage. The righteousness of the kingdom that's spelled out in the Beatitudes and made possible by the Spirit. And now, if we are in Christ, we're enabled to do what God has called us to do. And we want to walk in his ways. We want to rest in his love. We want to know the joy of living as he's called us to, to live, even if that means persecution. Where is happiness found? It's found in Christ. 
It's found in the gospel, which is really what the Beatitudes are calling us to. To turn from sin, to long for righteousness, to receive it from Christ, and then to walk in it for a lifetime. So with all that in mind, and at the risk of giving you a list of things to do to make you happy, (laughs) I want to give you a few practical steps that I've just sort of tried to draw from the Beatitudes. I have five of them, and I'll be quick, and this is not complete, so maybe you have one that you want to share around the potluck tables, um, but some practical steps. The first one is make space for repentance. Make space in your life for repentance. Jesus opens his ministry by calling all people to repent and believe. And it's the repentance and faith that we walk and continue to walk with him in ways that are flourishing. And so we need to make space in our lives for growing and poverty of spirit, in mourning for our sin and for the sins of the world and for the way that sin has scarred us and hurts others. We need to make space for being meek, and humble. We need to see how empty of righteousness we are on our own so that we could hunger and thirst for it more and more. We try to silence the conviction of sin that comes into our lives. We don't want to be poor in spirit. I don't want to mourn for my sin. I don't want to think about my sin. I want to move past it. And I want to work it out on my own. I want to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, right? But I saw a, a great quote from an author named Jared Wilson this week. He said, spiritually speaking, you don't even have bootstraps. <laughs> we don't have anything to pull ourselves up by. And so we should not avoid times of being brought low and to a place of repentance. Rather, we should make space for them. And time in God's word is probably the best place to see that happen. To to not rush through the scriptures, but to let them lay us low, convict us, correct us in the way that we need them to. It takes time. We've got to sit in silence sometimes and let the spirit do that work. George Mueller famously said that he read the Bible every day until his heart was happy in God. When I heard that, I thought, well, he must have been looking for some great promise some beautiful thing about God that would make his heart happy in God. But could, it, could happiness through the scriptures also lie in God showing us our sin and calling us to repentance? God's word, James says, is like a, a mirror. It shows us how we need to grow, how we need to change. And that's a kindness of God. I need people to tell me where I am weak and where I need to grow. That is a kindness And God can do that and calls us to rely on him and to trust him more by faith. Of course, Jesus doesn't just call us to repent. He calls us to believe. Repentance without faith is just morbid introspection. So so make space for repentance, but also receive and pursue righteousness. We're just living out the gospel is kind of what I'm saying. Receive and pursue righteousness. Remember the gospel. Remember that Jesus has done all that is necessary for us to have peace with God and eternal life with him. That he has made our hearts pure through faith. That he has accepted us because of Christ. That we are children of God. That he loves us unconditionally and will love us for all eternity. And knowing that and having been made pure and having understood the gospel, we are compelled to pursue 
purity in our lives. We're compelled to pursue righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, to be okay with persecution. So receive and pursue righteousness. It's, it's reminding ourselves of the gospel, repenting, believing, and then longing to walk in the ways that God has called us to. And related to that pursuit of righteousness, a third application step, selflessly give yourself for the good of others. If you want to be happy, selflessly give yourself for the good of others. Think about your neighbor first. Sometimes when we get really down and sad, the best thing to do is to serve someone else. To to selflessly give ourselves for the good of others. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. To be merciful. To be pure in heart. To be peacemakers. Specifically in those acts, give yourself for the good of others. Fourth, don't avoid persecution. Expect it. Don't avoid persecution. Expect it. I didn't say pursue it. Seek it out. I don't think that's what Jesus is telling us to do. But if we live our lives avoiding persecution, we're, we're not going to live a life of righteousness as Jesus has called us to. And we will constantly be thinking about other people's opinions of us and worried about if we're going to offend someone, not doing what God has called us to do. So don't avoid persecution. Expect it. Don't seek it out in some sort of strange way, but expect that it's going to happen. If you're going to walk in ways of righteousness, Jesus says it will happen. Expect it. So make space for repentance. Receive and pursue righteousness. Selflessly give yourself for the good of others. Don't avoid persecution, expect it. And finally, move to Finland. Just kidding. The last one's a joke. Uh, of course, some people do move to try to find happiness, don't they? Remember, though, that, that happiness is worth pursuing. It's not wrong to seek out happiness. And if, and if we would pursue it in the way that God has called us to, then we will find it. Not fully in this life, but for eternity, yeah. And we won't find some sort of false flourishing that says, as the song used to say, and now I am happy all the day. I used to sing that, but it's not true. Sometimes we're not happy and life is hard. But there's a true happiness that's rooted in the eternal truth of the gospel. And it's a happiness that will last for all eternity. It's something that Jesus has called us into, that we should pursue. It's not the natural way that we would normally think about happiness. It's going to go against the grain of our sinful nature. But as we are changed and formed more into the image of Christ, we're going to see it as he has seen it. Uh, Joshua brought it out best in his sermon, I think, and I've been thinking about it a lot, that Jesus was the most blessed man that ever lived because he fulfilled all of these. He, Jesus was the happiest man that ever lived. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So his happiness wasn't surfacy, but there was a joy and a flourishing in the life of Christ that was unlike any other person that has ever lived. 
And by his indwelling spirit, he's called us and invited us to be a part of that. He's told us how, if we want to pursue happiness, and we all do, he's told us where to find it. And so I invite you um, along with me to be a lifelong student of the Beatitudes and that we would pursue happiness together, a happiness that will truly last for eternity.